the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have Jackie Bryant on the show. Jackie is a San Diego-based journalist and managing editor of San Diego Magazine. Her freelance work is concentrated on cannabis business and culture, but also spans travel, food, wine, spirits, arts and culture, and organized labor. And I am a big fan of her cannabis culture newsletter, Cannabitch. So, Jackie, welcome. I'm so glad you joined me today. Hi, thank you. I am extremely happy to be here, and I'm so glad that you asked me. Well, I'm going to ask you one of my stock questions. What got you interested in writing about cannabis? You know, so I have been, you know, I call myself a lifelong user of cannabis, but like, obviously, literally, that's not true, Um, because I did not use it when I was a baby. But, um, you know, as long, I've been using it since I was a teenager, and it's always been a huge part of my life. But I was never overly connected to the culture other than just like maybe having friends that sold over the years or stuff like that. Um, you know, things, things along that line. But I, I grew up in New York um, on Long Island and, you know, it wasn't like the craziest weed culture out in the New York City suburbs. So, um, you know, when I got into journalism a number of years ago, I was writing mainly about um, travel, food and restaurants, and wine and spirits. And it just kind of, this was um, before Prop 64, so probably around like 2014-ish when I, when I started to get into journalism. And I, I just kind of realized, oh yeah, you can write about weed the same way you write about wine. You can talk about different cultivars and this and that and, and, and evaluate different things and, you know, different products were starting to come out and, you know, you could do it that way. That's news. Like, this is interesting. It's probably going to legalize soon. So just all of these things started happening and, and I quietly added cannabis reporting to my roster. And then I was a little, I, I, I had a pseudonym for a while and, and I also just kind of kept it a little quiet because at the time I was married to um, a non-U.S. citizen and I was sponsoring him for his green card. So I, I didn't want to like, you know, blow that whole thing up, but we got divorced. And so the second we did, which was in 2018, it was like on, that's when I I really pivoted to full-time cannabis journalism because I could be a a bit freer with it. So um, yeah, I I, I just kind of got led into it through lifestyle topics. And then once I landed there, um, I had a a column called Cannabitch, which was a print column at the time in San Diego City Beat. it just really explored culture and then allowed me to get into business and then through more business reporting and reporting on like legalization I, uh, reporting on cannabis just kind of like opened up my whole journalism life it allowed me to start reporting on policy and criminal justice and do investigative work you know things that i definitely hadn't done before and it, it really allowed me to to level up as a journalist in general but kind of gave me a, a full view of you know everything that that the plant touches for, for lack of a better phrase. So it's been an interesting journey, but yeah, I kind of came into it cause I was like, Oh, I like smoking weed. I can talk about it. Like I talk about wine and then it just totally spiraled. And here we are. Who's <laughs> <laughs> when you're saying East coast and I was thinking, you know, every time when I used to work in the dispensary and somebody from the East coast would show up, I'd look at him and I'd smile. And I'd be like, sour diesel. 
<laughs> like, I for sure yeah I'm 36 so like totally that was like and it like half the time it probably wasn't sour d right like whatever you were getting they were just calling it sour d because that's what it was branded and like back then on the east coast like weed was just weed and there was like just ditch weed whatever weed or there was dro which was short for hydro and that was just like code for like it was hydroponic and it's good but like who actually even knows where it came from right but like right. all of that was also always sour day <laughs> it's, like, it's funny it's like so specific <laughs> i i imagine that a lot of it came from our sunny coast <laughs> I, I think so <laughs> exactly so something tells me yeah i think that was all and and we had no idea what we were getting half the time but that's the, that was kind of the beauty of it, right? Well, that's <laughs> it. Time. <laughs> like, that's, I'm, I'm originally from Michigan, and so we would get, I don't even know what the heck we would get. There there was, like, on the Garden Peninsula, there were families of growers, and I went to school at Northern Michigan University with, like, many growers' children. But they'd always talk about, you know, that time of the year that everybody would get raided. It's like, oh, oh yeah. happy tales <laughs> by the fire, folks. <laughs> right just a totally just a completely different reality it's 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 wild and, and you know in new york we were kind of just a little disconnected from that although like not from you know i had a lot of friends like i said that sold and stuff that was a whole different paradigm right because they weren't growing or anything necessarily but they were definitely selling and and that that was something i was definitely exposed to so i it, it's interesting like my experience with you know traditional or legacy markets definitely comes from like good old <laughs> on the ground distribution <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's interesting too because when you think about I, I mean my perception when i was younger about who was who'd be selling in the traditional market was really different than the people that i met when i was older like in california i didn't get my recommendation for cannabis until i was in my late 30s because I was that was when I had cancer and before that you know and this was all before this was the 215 days I just had somebody that I'd get from like I had a, I had a friend you know she would show up with a few you know bags roaster bags and I'd ask her what everything was she'd tell me and I'd ask her you know what that meant and she had no idea so I just be like okay well <laughs> Just pick what smells good to me. Let's do it. Yeah, just roll with it. Yeah. I know. I, you know, I, 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 I kind of miss that in a way, which there's like a privilege in being able to be wistful about that, right? So I definitely know that. But in a way, it was a simpler time. Yeah, it was. I, I think the thing that I really liked about having more access to dispensaries was being able to have a consistent source of something that was good for my body. Cause for you, there were some years that I took off of using cannabis um, because I'd had a bad reaction to something and I didn't understand that it was just that cultivar and that it wasn't that I didn't right. do well with cannabis. That's a really good point too, because, you know, for me living in a legal market and, you know, like I said, I'm 36, I've been smoking weed since I was 14 and uh, pretty consistently, probably with just little breaks here and there. And I know it didn't know that much about weed. It really took living in a legal market and having access to all kinds of different stuff and like having a formal structure that... Um, you know, even just like presented it to you. So you would have questions that you would go research, right? Like, right. even if I wasn't getting the answer at the dispensary, like, it was like, oh, this is a thing. What does that mean? And obviously, I'm a journalist. So I'm like, naturally inquisitive. And like, that opened my mind up to just like learning everything about it, because I just 
I don't know. I guess I just didn't, I didn't really think about it. And I feel like that, I don't know, not to like go on too much of a tangent, but like, I feel like that perspective kind of informs my writing because I remember when I was like a heavy user, but totally clueless on a lot of it and clueless on the culture. And I had never really stopped much to consider where it came from, whether physically or otherwise. And so I think a lot of people who are disconnected from the culture or activism or um, even a legal market, especially a legal market. Yeah. Like they're totally immersed in weed and using it, but like there's so much that they don't know. So I try to like write from that perspective, like, cause that was a really big light bulb moment for me. And, and I kind of traces like back to all of that, I guess. I think it's, it's great that you're, you've done that because you, you're right. People are really, when you see it packaged, you just become detached from it. It's just another thing, a product that you're purchasing at a store, even if you're using it regularly. But if you take the time to dig in, go down the rabbit hole, you start to understand why things are the way they are. And that's, you know, after legalization, for, for, uh, for our dispensaries at our, our Market Street location, I did the first legal sale. <laughs> and so I'm stock, oh, so cool. <laughs> I'm stock footage now, which always, like... <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, right? Every up. newspaper photo. Yep, absolutely. Every I so, probably used it. <laughs> yeah, every so often they drag my ass up and post it. That's great. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it, it was the wonderful thing about it happening was that people felt more comfortable you know, accessing it without having had the conversations with their doctors. But one of the many sad things that happened around it was that we had a lot of tears because people were like, I can't afford what's been giving me relief. And and then, you know, they get angry and they're like, it's your fault. You're the dispensary or it's the company's fault because they're greedy. And that's that's when you get you you invite they get them. mad at the journalists who write about it yeah <laughs> they do and you're kind of like come with me let's take a little travel down this rabbit hole so you can see exactly what's happening and it's taxation by the state and all of the things that they make these companies pay for that other industries don't have to do or not be able to account for when they're doing their taxes to be able to get mm-hmm. you know those lovely refunds back that the rest of us are able to enjoy who aren't running a cannabis business yep i mean legalization is really less legalization than it is commercialization right so that mm-hmm. is obviously going to come with a price because quite literally because they are not going to let anybody get away with that for free yeah it's it's interesting because it seems like there's it's it's almost like a sin tax. It's almost like, well, you it know, is. yeah, we look at you as outlaws, so we're going to behave as outlaws when we, we ring you for every last dime and we don't care if you survive or not. Oh, a million percent. It's, it's, it's very cheeky. It's very like, we know what you quote unquote got away with and we know what you want and we know that we have to force you to play within these rules. Otherwise you will not get it. So we're going to extract as much as we can from it. You know, the health of, of your enterprise be damned. And it's, it's completely divorced from the fact that a healthy and thriving legal cannabis industry is good for public health. It is good for communities. It is good for, you know, public safety, you name it, et cetera. That's what it's supposed to be about, but it's not. It's about how can it generate revenue for the state? And that's why like latching onto that syntax mentality is really just always a failed endeavor because there's gonna be a time where it doesn't produce enough revenue and then your utility to the state gets called into question, right? right. And then the whole thing falls apart. And I, I think, 
you know, we're starting to to feel that relation, the, the strain of that relationship here, especially in California right now, right? Yeah. Why? Here, here's the question for you, and I and I I bring this one up a lot because I, it's like <laughs> I just I, it's almost one of those things where you see something so clearly, so you have to ask other people to make sure that you're still sane. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I totally know. What you, I mean, dude, when talking about legal weed, yeah, it's I'm like gut checking everything. I'm like, am I insane? Or and people are like, no, 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 no. I thought that too. I'm like, great, okay, good. That's it. I, I don't understand how how the, the the theories around economics don't resonate for state agencies when they are looking at cannabis because i i no, just don't apply they, i guess <laughs> they don't but it's like I, i'm on the san francisco cannabis oversight committee and the the um controller's office did a report a couple of years ago about the price per gram of cannabis and they're like oh the price has gone up due to competition and that's when I got on the mic and I was like, okay, so nothing has ever gone up in price because of competition. Literally. Like literally, that has literally never happened in the history of liberal economics. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I was like, you know, you know why it's going up is because you're overtaxing people. They're, it's taxed every step of the way besides the fact that it's expensive anyway to do business in California. And the real estate prices are ridiculous, especially in the major metropolitan areas. So don't tell me that it's gone up because of competition. And like, I got so many people calling and asking about it afterwards. And I, I thought this isn't even... We shouldn't even have to have a conversation about it because it's common sense. And when the state is looking at taxation and the fact of the first year that we were legalized, they were disappointed that they didn't make as much taxes as they should have. See, exactly. And that's then they start to go, wait, then why are we keeping you legal anyway? Right. Right. When if they really were thinking about it, they lower the damn taxes because they'd make so much more money because people would actually purchase from the legal market. Exactly. And that's actually just happened in San Diego. So um, I, I'm sure you're aware or and if you're not, if you think about it for two seconds, you're like, wait, there aren't any brands from San Diego. There are not many that are domiciled here. Right. Uh, Jetty yeah. actually started down here. These guys know Till Kings. They're living soil growers in, in Long Beach now. They started here, but everyone got ran out of town. There is um, definitely like some heavy cartel stuff with the traditional market here and biker gang stuff. We're a border town, so that kind of just is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, on on the other hand, we had a manufacturing tax in the city of San Diego that was, I believe, around 9% um, for, for the manufacturing level of things. And um, it just drove at any operator that was here or that was legacy and trying to go legal out of town because they just couldn't operate. We just lifted that, but they did a detailed financial report showing what the city could make. There were 40 licenses and only nine of them had been filled. So they said, this is what you lose by not having those licenses filled versus what you think you're getting by taxing them at this full amount. So that is starting to change on a local level. They just like haven't really gotten to it at the state level, but I do know that like, and obviously that that conversation is ongoing but yeah like local lo some local jurisdictions are finally like getting it they're like okay we are you know over the tax inflection point here where it, where it starts to punish the industry rather than support it yeah and or extract from it which is what i really think it is but you know that's neither here nor there and uh, i'm going to use everybody's favorite phrase actually i've heard so many people say they're tired of hearing about it california's major extinction events 
Yeah, and you know what? I have literally <laughs> written a story with that title in High Tide <laughs> Summer. <laughs> so absolutely 400% guilty. <laughs> I'm totally guilty. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I just, I still use it because I'm like, how else do you describe the Armageddon that's happening in this industry? It's true. I mean, people are, are dying by suicide because they cannot endure what's happening. Like, yeah. it is not, it is not by any means when when people are dying it is not extreme to use words like extinction is quite literally what it means um yeah no i mean i i'm sure you just as we know many of probably the same growers who are going fallow this year who are just not participating and you know brands and they're, they're all falling under too and even even the corporate ones like i know that like nobody's doing well and i don't have too much sympathy for that layer of the industry but i also know that like yeah, maybe they're breaking even or they're a little bit in the red or they're in the red in a way that they can sustain due to their capitalization, but they're not doing okay. Like nobody's doing okay. And that's, it's a heavy, it's heavy. Yeah, it is. And and that's, I think what policymakers aren't understanding is that it's not just faceless people, you know, and, and, and faceless companies, like, I don't know this, what they think is going on. But it's, you know, I had uh, the other month I, I did an interview with the former head of the RNC, Michael Steele, because, you know, he's he's doing stuff in cannabis. I met him a couple of years ago at Arcview. And um, <laughs> I, you know, he, he also doesn't like Trump. So I was like, yay. All right, let's talk. Like, word, all right. Yeah, like, that's, he's, he's that's like, a point we can start on, yeah. Exactly. We'll coalesce around that. Yeah, he's a... He's a he's the a, new water cooler, the proverbial water cooler. I know, like, you don't like Trump, but you're okay with me. He's, and he's, he's so, he's so funny, and he really, like, he wants to have real conversations about it, but when I told him about the growers, the, the suicides of the growers, he was just flabbergasted, and I'm like, why aren't we talking about this more? You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think part of it is I do know the, because uh, I briefly mentioned it in reporting of mine, but I haven't gone into depth on it. I know that everyone, you know, up north, uh, to me has been, and obviously everyone's hesitant talking to me, but um, they've all been hesitant talking to a report. I think they don't want it to get out there. I think, you know, it's a, it's a proud and tough community and they've withstood a lot. And I, I think that that's a little bit of a point that grit is a point of pride. And also it's just deeply sad and personal, right? right. It's very revealing. And so I just think, I don't know that everyone's coming to terms. I think we're still in the point where we're, where they're living through it. Right. Like right. maybe, maybe I, maybe, you know, a little too hard to like face that music right now. And I told it's, I totally get that. It's, um, and, and that's the thing. It's like this, there are real lives at stake and, and communities, entire communities, um, and and the state should care about that. I am cynical to the point where I do not believe the state ever does care about that. And so, like, I even pivot back to at least like on an economic like level again, like having a dysfunctional legal cannabis industry is bad for the state. It is bad for public health. It is bad for public safety. It does not contribute. It only takes away. And so if you're going to legalize it, you have to do it right and functional so that it actually benefits society as it should. And like, it's just very strange to me that that seems not to be the impetus because, but then also it feeds back into each, itself, right? Like Prop 64 gives money to law enforcement for enforcement. That just gives them more money overall. And it's kind of like- but they were supposed to save Maybe they still need to... a boogeyman. Yeah. You they, might, they might still need a boogeyman, right? 
They might, but that was one of the Sounding things. a little conspiratorial, but I don't know. Like, I talk to a lot of lawmakers and a lot of policymakers and activists, as do you. And, like, you kind of start to see how this this pipeline all works, I guess. Yeah. Well, you, you start to look at something like that. And I remember, you know, seeing how the breakdown and who's going to get the taxes. And I was like, wait a minute. Why is law enforcement yeah. getting that amount when... We actually are lightening their load because they don't have to go after people for no reason anymore. Doesn't yeah, that because, save the money? Because of course they have to get a cut. Everyone's got to make money from this. And that's why the syntax thing, it just, it just doesn't work. It is incentivized wrong from the beginning. And it will only come back to bite advocates in the ass. Yeah. But sometimes it's also the only way to get it done, right? And I do also understand the point of view of we got to get this done and then we can change it from within. It's just that, you know, props are hard to change, they unfortunately. Are. They <laughs> are. Well, that's that's the reason that I, I've, I voted for 64 because... I just realized that every time that this legalization issue came to the table, there were more greedy fingers that felt safe to get involved, and it was getting more and more convoluted. And then the next, if it didn't pass this time, the next time it came up, I just felt like it was going to be even uglier because we weren't listening yeah. to people who had the best interests of the industry at heart when they were making their proposals for legalization. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's why I did it, too. I figured I, I did at the, you know, at the time really side with the, well, it, 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 it's got to happen, even if it's not perfect. And, and ultimately, what I do always come back to is it needs to end criminalization. And obviously, it hasn't done that entirely. And of course, it's still federally illegal. But ending criminalization and, and providing a path for expunge, expungement is always the number one priority. So I said, you know what, at the very least, you know, let's start getting people out of jail. Yeah. Um, that's obviously yeah. been done with varying success, but, you know, things are have happened. So I guess, like, at the end of the day, that's what I sort of, like, justify it with. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. <laughs> it is. And that's, you know, one of the things that I, when I look at policy throughout the United States, and I've, I've visited several states that were either in the their midst of their programs or, you know, they they were in the stage of, you know, trying to pass programs, the people, you know, policy isn't based on fact. It's it's based on, Never. you know, who, no, it's, I always say state culture and stigma, but it's also influence. And it's I always influence. And that's just what goes in there. You know, like people have things to do. Okay. Tell me what you wanted to say. I'll write it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the lack of critical thought really gets me, but what I don't get, and maybe you can tell me if, if you've noticed that it's different anywhere else, people seem to make the same mistakes over and over again. Oh, yes, absolutely, because they only listen to the same however many people. And who has influence in this industry is definitely not synonymous with, with knowledge. It's, you know, there are so many people who have very influential organizations and positions who have only been around since legalization and are, you know, suddenly experts. And, and, and they can claim they've been around since the quote-unquote beginning. But, you know, everyone has their different definition of when this began, right? right. So, yeah, I mean, and, and then to your earlier point, like, I recently reported a story for um, San Francisco Chronicle about, um, you know, medical bill that would increase access by requiring um, municipalities to allow at least one medical dispensary or delivery within its jurisdiction, even if they had outlawed cannabis, you know, uh, you know through Prop 64, through local control previously. And it was, a, it's a good bill. It was a mostly good bill, but it, 
it allowed me, there was like one little thing overlooked and I, I have some background on this that I wasn't able to get on record. So I shouldn't really, you know, I can't really share it, but oh, you know, that. the bill was, the bill was vague in a way that um, maybe could possibly allow for a savvy actor to take advantage of the delivery portion of the bill and um, outlaw delivery throughout the state. It's, it's, it's convoluted. We don't need to waste airspace on it here. It's San Francisco Chronicle. You can read it. But, <laughs> but to that point, it's like things make it into bills that the lawmaker doesn't know anything about cannabis. Not really. You no. know what I mean? And so they don't even know what they don't know to look out for when advocates and you know, activists and, and, and um, lobbyists and what have you, you know, give them suggestions and say, oh, this is a good idea. Like in good, I do think many of them are acting in good faith. They just don't know what's necessarily a good idea and a bad idea because this is not anyone's expertise. So that's kind of what happened in that place. Like Senator Wiener, I think, gave like a really good faith effort at a good bill and it's a good bill. And then, you know, I published that and many activists were haranguing him and they eventually changed the language to specify it. And again, I do believe that whole effort was in good faith, but it does highlight the things that get overlooked in policy just because, you know, those who have that position of influence may not, you know, have everybody's best interest at mind, let's say. Yeah, that's true. And I think that there is distrust as well for people giving, you know, help and information and people wondering what's in it for them because I know for myself when we were when we were looking when we passed 64 that was when I was one of the co-chairs of the legalization task force for San Francisco and being a cannabis educator and I love when people put that in quotes and I'm like yeah I know there are some people out there that are armchair philosophers but some of us have worked with thousands of people and are yeah. immersed in it it's like when they denigrated obama for being a community organizer it's like no that's actually like a really big deal yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> I, I i look at it like that <laughs> yeah well and it's like you know wanting to like i i normally charge for my services and i was like hey <laughs> knowing that the city and state has money but still just being like i believe in this enough that i will give you this information for free Let's if we're yeah. going to put those damn sheets in the bags, let's have them be correct. And nobody listened. I believe that. I completely believe that. Well, you, I'm sure you saw those informational sheets. They were horrible. And it's yeah, it's it's like, did you not talk to anybody? And you can't you know, it's it's there are when we're looking at this, I mean, we're we're at a. I'm going to go back to my org psych background, storming, norming and reforming. That's what we're looking at right now. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do to, like, get people to talk to those who actually know what they're talking about instead of, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything but is safe under the umbrella of their institutionalization because they've got advanced degrees and something else. All of a sudden, they're, they're cleared to talk about this, but the person who isn't institutionalized in that manner but actually has practical knowledge that you can actually look up. And they're saying, oh, oh. No, I'm going to go for this person here instead. And no, that's such a good point. It's very technocratic. If there's like this technocratic vibe in the, in the cannabis industry right now, it's like, oh, you have experience anywhere? Perfect. And it's like, yo, that guy's been growing for like 20 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't help legitimize it. Those, I think this is a real... I think cannabis is a real exercise in figuring out like it's kind of the whole 
um, yeah, we we can do business in a way that is compassionate. We can give back to our communities. And we need to be able to identify the people who are knowledgeable. I'm not going to say experts because we're all learning. Um, Indeed. You know, but it's like touching upon like cannabis is a call out to critical thought. And it's really magnifying the fact that most people don't have it. Yep. I completely agree with that. <laughs> I, have, I have pretty much nothing. I'm just nodding if, if everyone can, can hear that. <laughs> I can hear your nod. Yep. Yep. Well said. Pretty much. <laughs> and when we're looking at that too, I mean, it's, it's really put a huge stress on the industry and people are, it's really affecting like, geez, my meetings and everything with talking to people, it's like you can, there's a change in people's demeanor and people yeah. are more defensive and people are, you know, scrambling. And it's a really weird time for people to be working in cannabis. It really is. And I mean, I feel that particularly as a journalist, you know, I mentioned before, like sometimes people don't always get that you're just the messenger <laughs> frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just telling you guys about what's happening. I'm not necessarily endorsing it or, or condemning it, just, just stating it. And people just kind of, they kind of freak out over what you choose to cover and where and how, and they think that you're sort of, you know, implicitly endorsing it. And sure, there, there is obviously some implicit bias in what a journalist chooses to cover and, and not. And, but sometimes newsworthy things are newsworthy and, 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 or they're interesting or it's a, a data point or you want to establish a line of reportage because you think something is going to be significant. And I just, you know, cannabis is a subculture and it is, um, it, it has been criminalized. And I understand that there's not really the media literacy that there may be in other communities. And so that's been really interesting, um, you know, talking to people, telling them how the reporting process works, et cetera, et cetera. And, but now I am, and that was a little bit more collaborative when things were going better and, and people were, were more open and, and willing to open up and things have changed. Um, I mean, everyone's anxieties are very high. Nobody wants anything negative. Um, nobody also wants to like trash anything else because they all understand how everybody's suffering. Some people are extremely defensive. Um, I've noticed kind of just like misogynistic behavior has really taken an uptick. People just have shorter fuses and they're just less tolerant of, of, of any discord, whatever. So, um, Publishing anything critical or, or, or frankly true can be a bit of an uphill battle. Everyone expects, I think there's also like this hangover from maybe like older cannabis media days when it was a lot more advocacy, journalism and work. And, and, and there's, I think people kind of expect if you're writing about cannabis, you're automatically an advocate. And, and I certainly am. And, you know, I'm very public with that, with that view. And everyone knows that about me. But at the same time, I have to be objective in my reporting. And you do. Um, it's just like whew, people get real pissed at you if they think you're not supporting the movement or, you know, at, at, at a critical time. And, and I feel that. And I always try to do right by the community and make sure it feels reflected in my work. But at the same time, like also people have nowhere to take their frustration out. Right. Like this is all kind of abstract and nebulous. Like you can hate the government, you know, shakes fists at the air. But what, you, what can you really do about it? Right. So it's pretty easy to take it out on a writer who's online and has several ways of contacting them. Like I have just gotten the craziest shit thrown my way. And so I feel that anxiety. It's it's 
I, I could never compare it to anybody actually working in the industry and, and literally financially suffering and everything else that they've gone through. So I won't even remotely put it on that level, to be clear. But yeah, you, I, I've noticed there's a vibe shift. You know, I said to you um, when we weren't recording before, you know, I have friends at Hall of Flowers right now and in, in, in Palm Springs right now. And this is what their third show in like nine months. I think, and you know, the industry's not doing well. Those booths are expensive, and apparently it's not totally well attended. It's mostly corporate. There's not a lot, nearly as many industry people there, and apparently the vibe is really somber. So I, I, I've been talking about it in private with a lot of people, and I, it was a very long-winded way of saying, yeah, the anxiety is palpable, and it's the vibes are weird and bad, understandably so, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's it's a heavy energy, let's say. Yeah, it is. And and I've noticed, um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people in the past, especially the past year, but even before that about just a lot of the stress and, you know, people wanting to, you know, figure out they love cannabis, but they're like, you know, I probably need to get out because I can't, it's, it's hard to make a living and just the general feel how how people are just really frustrated and sad and upset and there are short fuses people are like I don't want to be around that either and I you know for me it's like I I got into this because I have a great love for what we do and I'm lucky because I don't own a plant touching business I just work for one <laughs> which which is a big difference a it, big difference it's yeah. a huge difference but then as a writer like whereas before I used to feel more comfortable putting a critical lens on things that we needed to do to support the industry and make it better and a lot of this is changes that we need to make within as an industry not necessarily through policy I I get I know it has to be said but then I feel bad because I actually just yeah. did yeah, I, I just did an article that they put on RollingStone.com about the fact that we shouldn't be calling products, naming products after qualities, because one person's calm is another person's hell. Yes, yes. And I, and it's true, we have to talk about it, because in the end, how the person ingesting it responds to it will shape the way our policy looks, because if somebody has a bad experience, you've just changed somebody from somebody who's kind of curious to somebody who's Anti. saying it's bad and one million percent <laughs> you know but then you think about well sh geez you know there are people I really like and are you know are, have great products but they're they are doing this and I don't want them to think that it's a knock on them because it's not it's about a greater conversation around <laughs> mindfulness of how we are presenting it to the public because you know the public well, I mean, look at what we're seeing with like cancer, can cancer, cancel culture. It's like, you know, yes, there yeah. are some people who really do need to not be, you know, saying things. Well, but I think we can agree. Things it's there's it's it, it's it's gotten it's 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 gotten very a little unwieldy. Yeah, it has. It has, and I feel like we have to take. A step back and it's, you know, we, we, even though a lot of our problems are coming from policy, we have still have to stop and look at ourselves. And, and like you were saying, like some of the toxic, you know, masculinity that we're seeing in, in the industry. And that's, you know, and I, 
And when I say that, I'm not saying putting it towards all men, but it's, no, you know, of course not. there are certain people. And when we, I first started working in this industry, there was this amazing opportunity for women to, you know, grow their businesses. We were seeing like people are saying, oh, they're breaking the glass ceiling in cannabis. And now we're returning to some of the old, same old, same old that we see in other industries. And even, even to the point of like, it was happening even before because a, a fellow, <laughs> a fellow writer um, quoted me and another person in an article a couple of years ago. And they were like, oh, you know, the dude was, you know, cannabis attorney extraordinaire and, and member of the San Francisco, you know, task force. And me, it was public education officer at Apothecarium. And I like got a hold and like, dude, I'm the co-chair of that task force. <laughs> yeah, like, hello. Or, Hi. <laughs> or like when I taught the first classes at City College San Francisco, another writer who wrote for the same magazine I did wrote an article about me with public education officer in quotes, like it wasn't real, but didn't even talk oh, to yeah. me. Talk to the school and talk to the co my my the professor that was teaching with me who I asked to teach with me because he had a harm reduction background, no background in cannabis. But it was like if I were a dude, I don't think that would have happened. No, I I I reported on a company that had recently had a change in CEO and I got on the phone with this former CEO and the first question I asked was I heard you're not CEO anymore. Is that true? And he flipped out and said what is this? I feel, you know, I'm getting ambushed. I feel like you're just nothing. You're just addressing rumors. You just want to talk about rumors. You're nothing but a gossip rag columnist. Jeez. Oh, just for asking if he was still CEO, which by the way, he wasn't. It's an extremely straightforward question. Yeah. And, and there's just, he might've flipped out at anyone, but there's just no way he would have flipped out quite in that way to a male reporter. I know this because my, my, my partner is an investigative reporter and he never gets speaking, spoken to this way. And, you know, he reports on criminal cops and bad politicians. So like, please, you know what I mean? And like, I, I have a good, I have a good, you know, benchmark for this. And like, there's just no way he ever would have called me a gossip columnist, you know, conflating something that's traditionally more feminine or associated with being feminine and toxic. It was so vile. And I, it just, yeah. And that's, the, that vibe is seeping in because people are getting angrier. When people get angry, their basest, you know, um, motivations come out, right? And so things that they've able, been able to suppress consciously. And I feel like this latent misogyny is just totally part of that. It is <laughs> to be nice and light about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really makes me be grateful for all the solid women in the industry that help each other. Oh out. yeah, it's amazing. It's been the greatest um, like part of all of it, actually. Just in my years reporting and getting to know everyone, it's been that's been such 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 a joy in my life. Yeah, what are a lot of support? What are some of the things that you are excited and feel hopeful about with this? Oh, I have to admit, I'm in a tough, I'm in a tough spot with all of this. Like I've gone through some difficult reporting experiences recently, including, you know, a little bit of harassment and, and this and that. And, you know, I, again, like I talk to a lot of people at all segments of the industry and I'm hearing their stories and they're all pretty bad stories right now. So I have to admit, like, I'm in a, you know, and I've stepped back a little from cannabis reporting. It's still part of my repertoire, but I did take a full job at 
full-time job at San Diego Magazine, so I'll be doing more generalist San Diego reporting for a little while too, in addition to cannabis. And so I kind of needed a little bit of distance from it myself. And um, so I'm in a weird spot with it. But what I am excited for is the fact that I think it really is sinking in that the fight isn't over and that this is very much still not truly legal and not truly accessible. And I think people realize they're going to have to dig their heels in and and become, you know, political operatives. And I think that's kind of the next phase of this moving from like activism to operative. Right. And so I I do see that spirit catching. And um, I hope that that's something that that can happen. I also, you know, the normalization of it in the stigma decreases and only continues. And that's a good thing. And to, you know, your point about misleading marketing and how that affects policy, reduction of stigma also, you know, affects policy, right? And so that's only a good thing society-wide over time. So those are definitely two things that, you know, it's hard not to be encouraged by, to say the least. Yeah. I I feel like it's, we're at the stage where we really I used to feel more like, oh, you know, whether you talk about your use or not, it's your own business. And I, and I still do, like with everything. Like people need to have their own boundaries. But we, totally. are, we are at a point in time where, like, you know, if I was still behind the bar and somebody was, you know, and I used to say this when people would be like, oh, you know, your dispensary is greedy or these companies are greedy. And that's when I would look at them and I'd go, listen, this has to do with policy. This has to do with policy that's allowed this taxation. And the reason that this taxation is allowed is because your your elected official doesn't see mm-hmm. the face of who's using cannabis. So it's time to step up. It's oh, time okay. to say, I'm a highly functioning member of society that contributes. I have a job. I pay taxes. Or oh, I don't have a job, whatever. More. You know, but you pay taxes. That's cool too. Yeah. You're <laughs> you're a good person. You contribute to society. You use cannabis and you vote. Yeah, I'm I'm with that too. I mean, very recently I was on the cover of the San Diego Reader, which is an alt weekly here in town, smoking a joint while writing, and it was about something it was an article about kind of like part of my freelance career it was a local thing but it was like a big deal like that 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 magazine is run by a pro-life um you know a very devout catholic guy and he put a pot smoker smoking on the cover it just and it, it, san diego's kind of a conservative town it just yeah. just never would have happened before and you know right after that i got you know, this job at our flagship lifestyle magazine in town. And I've been very, very, very public with my use. And they want me to bring a cannabis vertical to the magazine. And and I I, I reiterate, San Diego is a conservative town. And like, yeah, like it just, there's just no way that a magazine like that would allow me to have a public job like that after being so out, even just five years ago. Right. Just, I just know it because I've been writing for the magazine that long. And so, you know, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but because I don't think it has less to do with me and more just the tide of things like things are changing and that's encouraging. And so I had felt that me being out, I've kind of like seen a ripple effect and I'm, it's very empowering for me. Of course, I'm a blonde white lady and I went to a good college and, you know, I'm, I have my name in newspapers and stuff. Like it's very easy for me to say. Right. But um, I also feel that because I can, I should. So, well, yeah. And the, and the fact that, you know, the way who you are and what you, what you look like is very accessible to, the greater public where people are like, oh, she's friendly. She's she's a blonde-haired white lady and she's smoking a joint. That's like, yeah. it, it, it opens people's minds to be like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. Because when we do see the stereotypical, like when they think of, oh, they're a user, it's like, 
Yeah, it's, it's, I have to admit, I think about that. Yeah. I, I really do. I think about the optics of that and my specific optics. I, I yeah, it sounds like totally navel gazy, but I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Well, that's you know, for me, like I, you know, when I go to my meetings and everything, it's you know, my husband laughs. He's like, "Oh, look at you, you're all suited up in your heels and everything." I'm like, "Well, I got to show up bulletproof." But what makes me laugh yeah. is when I put something up on Twitter or something like that. Like the other year, I put up, we we just gotten in uh, Seth Rogen's flower houseplant, and so I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna you know put something up on social media." So I had this. I'd just been gifted this uh, pretty little like handheld water pipe. So I put like a little bit of weed in there and I was having, I was eating an orange that day. I'm like, oh, that looks pretty with it. Let's just put the jar there and I'll take a picture. I put it on Twitter and one of the responses was, I bet she doesn't even use weed. And I started oh, to like laugh. <laughs> I was like, love that one. <laughs> love that one. I'm, like, I'm incognito. Oh, really, do you want to try? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will turn me into a bro faster than that. It'll be like, okay, cool, let's dab then. Like, I definitely have a bro streak. Like, I that was <laughs> like, too. I am so competitive, and I would just be like, oh, really? <laughs> and I have been, and it's definitely resulted in me getting way too stoned. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I, I kind of felt the same way. It's like I, I, I turned to Jeff, and I was like, well, I said I feel like I have to bring my torch out now. Maybe I need yep. to do that with my There's suit only one thing on. To do. <laughs> been there yep right and, and then I'm thinking well well geez you know that really says a lot too because people who are using cannabis have a certain idea of who you know uses yes. it and I want to be like spend That's an afternoon point. in my waiting room and you'll see like everybody yeah <laughs> That's a really good point. The stigma and, and the stereotypes that exist within you, like people who use and within the community. I really never thought about that. That's such a good point. We, we have a lot of work to do on all sides with our perception of who uses cannabis, who works in cannabis, you know, who's, who, who can actually create in a positive change. Because I feel like there's just a lot of silos of what what people think, who people think do things and who can be effective and who isn't effective. And this is where, you know, and I think it's just, it's just human nature that we categorize people because it's a, it's a survival mechanism yes. that no longer serves yes. us. Could not agree more. Yeah, I just, well, Jackie, I just, you know, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. And I, for our listeners who are out there, how's, what's the best way for them to follow you and how can they subscribe to your newsletter and just check out everything that you do? So I am, for better or worse, pretty decently Google-able. So um, <laughs> my name is Jackie Bryant um, on Instagram, J-A-C-Q-B-R-Y. Um, I'm on Twitter, um, Cannabitch. C-A-N-N-A-B-I-T-C-H dot substack dot com. You can find me through San Diego Magazine. Um, I am I am definitely on the World Wide Web, and uh, I would, would love to see you there. We have a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I love your newsletter. I just think that you have oh, such great you. insight. Yeah, oh, it's it's awesome. And I'm, I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to talk, and I really... I'm looking Me forward too. to future conversations. I wanted conversations. to get to know you for a while. <laughs> Me yeah, too. I've, I've been wanting to get to. So this is this is truly a delight. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. And for those of you listening out there, remember, Planted is twice a month, 
And if you want to follow us on social media, on Facebook, we are Planted with Sarah Pion. On IG and Twitter, we are Planted with Sarah. And, you know, if you want to check out what I'm doing and see things like pictures of my cat, cannabis education, um, and, you know, things that I'm cooking, I'm Sarah Mitra Pion on IG. Everybody out there, hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. Tune in next time. And if you do enjoy the episodes, please leave us comments. Share it with a friend. You can listen to Planted wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We are on Tuned In, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Apple, and Google. And, of course, our home network based out of Chicago, Illinois, Radio Misfits Network, where you can listen to a lot of amazing podcasts. I One of my favorite wine podcasts is on there, The Winemaker, so check it out. Until next time, it's a crazy world out there. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And until next time, stay curious. Take care, everyone.